0: We are going to be talking about the third best Star Wars movie after <laughs> The Last Jedi and Revenge of the Sith. We're going to be talking about Rogue One. <laughs> That's what they call an introduction. My name is Wes. I'm joined by Kling Dave. Dave, how are you? Long
1: time no see. Great. Great. How are you? Good. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Uh, it's taken us over two years to do this because of all the reshoots we had to do.
0: <laughs> you know that Gareth Edward looks a, lo- uh, looks a lot like our friend Abe? Have you ever looked at Does Gareth? He really he really? No. He, kind of, he kind of looks like him in, in, a, in, a, uh, in kind of a, a general sense, I suppose. With, the, But yeah, I was looking at uh, looking him up. He's apparently- Wow.
1: I, okay. I can see
0: it a little bit. Well, it it's probably depends on the picture, but his, yeah. his Wikipedia picture certainly uh, resembles it, I think. A little bit.
1: The first one I saw there, actually. Oh, yeah. This, this first one right here, he looks a lot like him. Oh, like, just like him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to be talking about Gareth Edwards, Rogue One colon, a Star Wars story, which is mm-hmm. almost like a Christmas story. It's a 2016 American space opera epic, directed by Gareth Edwards, Screens, uh, screenplays by Whites and Gilroy, from a story by John Knoll and Gary Whitta, produced by Locust Film, distributed by Walt Disney. It's the first installment of the Star Wars anthology series. It stars Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmed, Jeanne Wen, and Forrest Whitaker in a role... That I have a lot to talk about, I suppose when we get to it. But <laughs> we, this is our first of the um, the anthology series because it's the first of the movies. We've done everything through Force Awakens, and now we're on to Rogue One. I had never mm-hmm. seen this one before. You guys have seen it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we both saw it in the theater, right? I saw it in the theater. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't seen it since then, and so I was really interested to watch it again because uh, coming out of it the first time, I thought it was good, but I thought it was uh, it, it kind of the last hour or so really kind of uh, wipes your mind clean of everything that came before it but i actually found it really rewatchable i was surprised i didn't think it was going to be but i i thought it was
0: dave what'd you think what was your you what jo- was your, your initial uh, your first watch back in 2016 when you were a young pup
2: uh, <laughs> i saw it at like the my i guess most hatred for star wars it came out after force awakens but before last jedi yes uh, Yeah, so I was real down on Star Wars, and you opened by jokingly saying it was the third best Star Wars. I would say it's the fourth best Star Wars, and I'm, I'm going to stick to that, and I walked out of the theater thinking that, too. I also saw this one without kids first. It was just me and my wife on a date. Um, so I, I feel like that's less incentive to like it, but both of us walked out of the theater and I was, like, that
1: that was really great. but well, I, I can't wait to tell the story about seeing the last Jedi with your kids, which is one of my favorite stories, but we'll save that for the next episode.
0: you you just went home, David had great sex. you're like, Star Wars is back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> did you see
1: Tarkin? Oh my God, did you see Tarkin?
0: I um, I actually do think this is the best uh third best Star Wars actually after um, after not the two that I mentioned, but after a New Hope and Empire, I think this is uh, easily into a third place for me. I had never seen it before. Uh, watching it last night, um, I really like this one. I think it. Um, I think it has problems. I think it's an interesting mix of like what Star Wars does really well and really badly, and I think that they really they flesh things out nicely in this one. And I was, um, I guess the the main takeaway for me is that it feels like, I guess the big problem for me besides like the character work, but on like a story level is that um, I like how they flesh it out. I like how this is like a rebel story as opposed to a Skywalker type story. And you get like a sense of how the universe uh, is treating people in terms of the rebellion and what the rebellion is like. And so they turn it into this kind of like war movie where it's kind of Vietnam with a lot of like guerrilla tactics and it's kind of World War II and things like that. And where you're running into like the buzzsaw of like the German war machine or something like that,
1: and it starts in like Mogadishu and ends in Hanoi, right? Exactly. It's a it's
0: a real globe <laughs> globetrotter thing, but I think that the the problem with that is that it's all kind of stuck in the Star Wars universe still. So while I, while I, I really like the depth of what they try to do, and I think the ending is really fantastic, at the same time I have this fundamental problem of like. What is the empire doing in this universe? Like what what is the what is the empire's goal? Why do all these people work for it? Like what's the theology of the empire? And I don't know if that's a good place to start, but that's kind of my the tricky bit I had about this movie, which is like it's trying to go for this like really realistic war story, but at the same time it's stuck in this fairy tale of Star Wars that's holding it back a little bit.
1: Well, what's interesting is it kind of it kind of brings to the forefront the problem with the empire across the board, which is they only seem to be able to know how to tell stories involving the Death Star because there's the only thing that we know the Empire wants to do is build the Death Star. Blow up yeah. planets. Yeah, that's it. There's no like politics involved. I was thinking uh, are they no... taxing
0: these people? Like do they do they take things from people under their control or is it just that, like they steal the crystals in this movie but is it like a you know what's what's the Empire doing to people that makes them hate them really? It seems like everyone well, who hates I mean, them they blow up Jeddah pretty on a
1: whim, essentially. But, right, but they, yeah, they, it, it ties into
0: the whole thing of just building the Death Star. It's like if you're not involved in them building the Death Star, you seem like you don't really interact with the Empire in any way.
1: Yeah, it, which is explains why it's shown up in one, two, three, four of the nine movies, I guess. Uh, at least all of the movies that involve the Empire, it seems to pr- play fairly prominently. Um. Because, yeah, it, we, we we talked about this uh, when we were covering the original ones, how the Empire is very much like an archetype, and it doesn't really have a purpose. It's just sort of, it's the bad guy. They're doing bad guy things. And when you try to open it up, then you have to figure out what the Empire does, and it seems like they haven't really ever figured that out. It's just, well, as long as it's Death Star related, people will understand that they're up to no good, I guess. Yeah. So one thing I really like about the movie, and I'm going to tie it in, um, is
2: it assumes that you've at least seen New Hope. And mm-hmm. if you haven't seen New Hope, it doesn't give a shit explaining anything from a New Hope. It is, It just, you go into it and it assumes that you've seen it. And I think it makes sense, like, the whole plot of the movie revolves around, if we're going to get back to the politics, the argument happens in A New Hope between Leia and Grand Moff Tarkin when she says, you know, more the the tighter you grip, the more systems will slip through your fingers. And Tarkin says, "Fear will keep them in line. Fear of this battle station." Mm-hmm. And that's like where you're going. Everything else is just assumed, right? Yeah, that's right. the driving political force behind yeah. the whole plot of Rogue One. Yeah,
1: and it does. Uh, I you know they 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 surprisingly don't explain a lot about from from New Hope, but they explain a lot of everything else because the first forty minutes of this movie is essentially just exposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, my favorite piece being, um, as they're getting ready for the final battle or whatever, uh, Mon Mothma is talking to, uh, Bail Organa and she's like, you should call your friend, you know, the Jedi. And he's like, you mean the Jedi who I know who's been in hiding for 40 years? That was of good help to me in the clone world, clone wars named Ben Kenobi. Yes. I'll give him a call. He's a good dude. Like there's, there's a lot of that, like the, the, the message that, um, galen ursa sends to his daughter is this hologram where he talks at length about the plot of star wars essentially where he's like i worked on the death star i built a, a fail-safe device in the middle of the death star that you can only get if you shoot two photon torpedo i'm oh, sorry wrong one If you sh- shoot <laughs> proton proton are they are they proton is that They're what protons, they are proton yeah, man wars Trek, photon proton if you shoot two proton torpedoes down the exhaust pipe that's you know it's it's a lot of a lot of um exposition. Yeah. But oddly enough, it's a lot of exposition, but the world building is actually I thought it was actually pretty well done. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I I am um, Edward started as a kind of prop person, I guess for his career. Uh he's he's known as someone who does like a lot of like physical um design work kind of like lucas for the original series he he lists mm-hmm. lucas as like a big inspiration to him and so you can see why it is like the the world and the way that the movie looks and like the the universe that they've put into it feels really really star warsy to me in a way like the prequels don't like it feels like it yes. picks up right after the original uh trilogy and i think that like it, it kind of sticks out to me like I, I don't think that the um i don't think you need to have seen a new hope to have watched this it's we're, getting, we're we always talk about this guy where it's like now we're in the point where like this so much of this content is just like brand related that like if mm. you it, you need to know what's going on and it in order for it to stand alone on its uh like for to, you to be able to enjoy the movie you need to be familiar with like the universe that they've done and i think that this one does a pretty good job of being fan servicey and pandry if you want to go that far without it getting in the way of the story in a a lot of a lot of times and i think that that's a pretty good pretty good effect to it where you don't spend the entire movie just going like oh that's a reference to that oh that's a reference Mm -hmm. to that oh that's a reference to that it feels like it exists on its own even if it does take a while for the movie to start going in the early goings it takes a little bit of time for to sort of ravage its engines up but after that i think it's it stands on its own pretty well i think but the downside of that is just i think that my problems with this movie seem to be the generic ones. I don't really care for the characters all that yeah. much. And this one trying to do its new war story, and I can ask Dave about this after the uh, for his, his character take. When you're trying to do this new war story like this, the original Star Wars kind of worked because the characters are all very tropey. And it's like Luke is the young, you know, uh naive teen who's gonna like take on an empire. He's got his elder mentor, you've got the wisecracking sidekick guy, you got the princess. This one doesn't have that because it's trying to do this nuance thing. The characters are kind of wishy. They're not wishy-washy, but they're not clearly defined what they are. And because they're, for some reason, there's like five times the amount of characters I think you need in this movie <laughs> to get the job done. You don't spend a lot of time with any of them. Um, but I don't, know if, I don't know if you thought the same thing about these characters, Dave, or if you sort of, uh, if you
2: insert them into like a Star Wars trope and you feel okay with it. Well, what do you mean that they're not defined? It, like they're not defined as as villains and heroes. I
0: think that you don't get a I think that the movie wants you to assume their
2: motivations
0: and it doesn't feel the need to explain them where I think that someone like Jin is not particularly well defined in what she wants from her what she's going for as a character. And like the you know, the monks are just like these two monks who defend the thing and now they're going to join the 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 rebel alliance. They have lines about like we're also the bad guys. The Rebels are also bad guys. Like, everyone does bad things every once in a while, which is kind of a neat spin on it. But it doesn't feel... I don't feel like the movie ever gets into any of that because it's, it's actually, stuck in
1: a Star that's Wars That's actually... Struggle. That is actually United States foreign policy now, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does bad stuff.
2: Well, I got to say that when, when I saw it for the first time and, you know, every time I rewatch it, like, I, I get my boner in the first 15 minutes when they have that scene where Cassian... um finds the informant and he learns and then, you know, he, he ends up shooting stormtroopers, and the stormtroopers are, are gonna Tom the alarms go off. And uh the the informant says to him, like, oh I can't climb my arm or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh he shoots he says, It's okay, don't worry. And then he shoots him in the back. That's when I was like, oh my God, moral
1: ambiguity in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> he just did something bad and he's the good guy. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Wes, I I know what you're saying, but I actually I feel I find that the main the Cassian and Jin are actually fairly well defined in terms of what they're about in that Cassian is the guy who's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done for the for the for the rebels and Jin is very much kind of I don't know if I'd call her a nihilist, but she's very much someone who is not taking sides in the war. Yeah. Which and is a lot
0: of the characters are kind of defined that way. And they're, right. they're not interested in either side. Yeah,
1: And and obviously the changes they go through is that Cassian realizes that, I don't know, life matters or something, I guess. But uh, And Jin decides to take a stand and blah, 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 blah. The weird thing is, so they're fairly well-defined actually, but it's very much a one sentence definition and they don't, they're just kind of boring. Like, they they have the one thing that they do until they do the other thing, and that's pretty much it. So, you've kind of got them going through the middle of this movie, and it's they're just kind of floating along. And they've got the stuff with the dad and whatnot, but all of that's I don't know if that stuff totally works for me. But, like, the uh, there's a lot of characters in this movie. There are so many sure, characters. Definitely. Like, the Saw Guerrera stuff, yeah, you should go into that because that, a- <laughs> well, that I whole wanna- sequence. It was, uh, the brain squid, I think they could have taken the brain squid out of the movie. Oh,
2: I love the brain squid. I thought that was such a good addition to Star Wars. When he, when he says that he can feel your thoughts, it's like, okay, it's a mind reader. And then he explains like, you're probably going to go insane from him reading your thoughts. That's, oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to leave Jin,
0: because I think that I would sum up my, my, like a big kind of problem I have is the ending, where are these two supposedly, are these two falling in love through the story? No,
1: I don't think so. You don't think so? So they're just—is no.
0: is there I, hugging? Are uh, is there hugging and stuff at the end? They they sensible?
1: Yeah, I think it's sensible. I don't think it's like they've spent the last fifty-five to how long is two hours? One hundred and twenty minutes. Uh, the, I, I don't feel like they've spent the story learning to love each other or anything. I think they've probably respect each other and stuff. But I don't think I don't think the point is that there is a romantic, you know story arc there no I don't, I don't
0: understand why they hug at the end kind of like i, I mean if
1: you're gonna if you're facing <laughs> down a nuclear explosion i'm hugging whoever's no
0: next these to me. are these are two cold soldiers that it doesn't make any sense that they're, that they're gonna like I, I think that that's kind of the problem is that they're not they're not really defined in a sense beyond like their one sentence but they're description. not
1: but they're not cold soldiers anymore by the end of the movie like they are but i mean they've 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 you know, but they're dying Jim in the, can-
0: they're dying in the name of the cause. They're they're cold soldiers. Like they're 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 dying for the greater
1: good. You can't hug someone when you're going to die no, for the you, greater you good. Absolutely, you absolutely cannot. You are, You can't look like a pussy. You are a cold-hearted <laughs> son of a bitch, Wes. <laughs> no,
0: I don't think. I don't think that they are because they tried to add nuance to these kind of characters, and they don't have the time to really flesh them out. You're you're left with a. A Star Wars-y sense that this is all because of daddy issues, that you're doing things. Mm. However, it doesn't work well enough in the newly created nuance of everyone has a little bit of gray inside them, like who's to say which side is right in this thing, even though one mm-hmm. side seems to be clearly right about it. So that, that's my... I think it all comes down to that central conflict about whether or not it's stuck in the Star Wars universe or you can do deeper
1: stories in this universe and have it make sense at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, they do. There's a lot of characters, and they do a lot of jumping around. Uh, yes. Like I remember uh, the first time I saw it. Afterwards, my my I think it was during the movie. My girlfriend was like, "I they changed planets like four times." I'm not even totally sure where they are at the moment. In like ten minutes. Yeah, they do a lot of planet jumping.
2: They have to add
0: chirons so that you know which planet they're on. Uh, like they, yeah. But they put the little the little uh, name of the planets in the corner every time they do it. That's another – it's a new Star Wars thing. They didn't used to do that all the time. They used to stick on a planet, and they used to just be on Tatooine all the time, and now they're just kind of jumping around willy-nilly.
1: Yeah.
2: So can I just say they used to be on Tatooine all the time? It seems like they're kind of still doing that with the new uh, product that's out. But I thought that the opening planet, when Jyn Erso is a little girl and Galen gets captured, that was a new Star Wars planet, yep, like I've never seen anything like that, and it was really interesting. if you look at the big shots it's completely barren, and then you've got those moisture evaporator things and then grass growing just around those mm-hmm. it, was, it was very cool looking I liked it a lot in the
1: end too the when they go to uh club Club Empire at the end yes the, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's what's that hotel in the Bahamas um <laughs> So, Star Wars. <laughs> well, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it wasn't Atlantis, just the layout, yeah. the layout of uh, the Star Wars Disneyland, where it's like this is what it's going to yes. look like. Come to Scarif, or whatever it's called.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of the as uh, a a Mario Mario Party map that's like on the beach, and it kind of reminded <laughs> yes. me of that, like jumping around between the islands and stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: what we did learn, because Wes and I actually were also thinking the same thing. Mandalorian does not take place on Tatooine.
2: No, I think they say that in the. I saw one episode.
1: Yeah, it's, but it was, it's it, essentially, it's ta- it's yeah. Tatooine. Desert-looking yeah. planet. It's got Jawas yeah, on it. Yeah. It looks like Moss Eisley. <laughs> yeah, the Jawas show up <laughs> in episode two. Oh, nice. Which, which again, I was, when we were talking about it, I was like, how, the Jawas aren't really a space-faring people. I don't know how they get from planet to planet, but I guess they're very resourceful. Would you, um, you said this is your fourth
0: favorite Star Wars, Dave. Yeah, so, so is- I'd
2: put it behind ret- your, your same order, except flip Return of the Jedi with this. So I'd put, You'd put all the original trilogy. I put Empire, New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One, Phantom Menace. So why is why is this one? <laughs> no,
1: I'm not going to get
2: into that. <laughs> why,
0: why is this one after those? I guess. Like what what makes this one a, a a good Star Wars movie
2: for you? So I again, I really I called it moral ambiguity earlier, but it's not really. It's just kind of I guess the admission that irregular warfare, it's dirty war, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. Like the opening scene or not the 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 scene on Jeddah when they first battle and Cassian says something like he feels it in the air like it's going to get hot soon and then a battle breaks out and a bunch of civilians die from it
1: um and they look like middle eastern terrorists essentially yeah yes, like the yes. good guys it, and the, yeah. and it
2: looks like they're like you said they're yeah. in Mogadishu or yeah. something um so i i really liked uh that aspect to it i liked the look of it a whole lot it was really nice seeing like actual TIE fighters and X Wings. Even the new ship, the is it called a U Wing? Uh, I don't remember what Whatever it's Whatever rogue yeah, one the ship is. The, that was a cool yeah. design and it was it was nice to see that. It didn't have the same um curvy, sleek look that the the prequels had, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have the whole like new order look of the new ones. It was felt like a Star Wars movie. I thought they did a great job with it. Um uh, nothing really pissed me off, I guess. <laughs> Unlike the prequels and the new Disney series, yes. nothing. I didn't. Nothing made me mad. You know well,
1: what? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the thing that I think is the is the is the highest sell the biggest selling point for this is that they take familiar Star Wars stuff and they present it in a really engaging, interesting new way. Like that shot of the star destroyer, like sitting on top of Jetta just floating there. That that shot's amazing, and they, there's a lot of stuff like that where they'll they'll give you a really a really beautiful shot uh, or sequence involving stuff you're familiar with, but it's just used in a new way, and it doesn't feel like they're using it just to use it. Like, uh, was it the ATST shows up in Jetta, and it's not like, oh, huh, yeah, great, they use it. It's like, oh yeah, I guess they would have other practical uses aside from just ewok warfare yeah like those are part of the arsenal so it makes sense that they would show up in certain places
2: the first shot you see the death star when the shadow of the moon or whatever is passing over it and it comes into the light that was awesome
1: it's because they 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 hit you with it twice too because they do this that shot starts with a star destroyer coming out of the shadow and then the star uh, death star shows up and yeah it's that's that's probably the best shot in the movie that's really 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 good I was uh,
0: the only thing about your point, Clay. What are the the ATATs? Those little four-legged walking things. I don't understand mm-hmm. why they were in the Bahamas. It seems like that's not yeah. the the right place <laughs> sure. for those two things to show up. But um, or the forest, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the forest. What really is the practical application of the ATAT or the ATST?
0: <laughs> just to be up high, shooting at things, making them. Laugh. It was
1: some defense contractor just ripping oh, yeah. the empire off. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. I these will be great in the snow. Great in the snow. <laughs>
2: I
0: really like this movie because the main thing that I take away from it is that I have never throughout all of the other Star Wars movies ever felt that there was any kind of like fear of the Empire that I think that this movie really gets across pretty well, even though I don't understand the motivations of the Empire still, at least in this one. It does feel like you when you're removed from the skywalkers and the jedi and stuff like that. It does give you this sense of this is a real world where the default power setting is not jedi. You know what I mean? Like right. When you see yeah. when you see a jedi and particularly when you see Vader in this, it actually lifts the power thing up a little bit. Like you understand why these guys are impressive or why they're dangerous. But when you're stuck with these humans just kind of running around under the shade of the empire, it feels, um, it feels more lived in in a sense. Like this is kind of mm. where the prequels went wrong, where they didn't. They, it's that became too much of this, the soap opera about the Jedi. This feels like the Jedi are just something that lives on top of this world, and a movie like this give sense to me about why some people they insist in the other movies that people have not heard of the Jedi kind of Um, because you get the sense that they don't always just walk around and you're not constantly looking at them. You have this sense that this is a world that you might live your entire life without running into somebody with a lightsaber.
1: Now I know Wes, you're not really that much of a star Wars person, but I I would say uh, Dave and I probably are more than you are. Um, How do you guys feel about, does it work Mainly because it is a nostalgia boost because they are using old stuff as a pe- compared to new stuff, or does it work because they're using that old stuff in a in a way that is actually actively satisfying for the story they're telling?
0: Uh, D- Dave, I, my my answer is this is completely divorced from nostalgia for Star Wars because I yeah. don't have any of that, um, <laughs> and I think that th- this works outside of that like i I think that it's not even the like the uh the the sort of fan servicey stuff i think i think that this story is the most satisfying standalone story maybe of all the star wars movies because Mm it it sits maybe outside of a new hope um this one like sits totally in and of itself and i think that the it has this really unique thing of the gloom that you know is coming at the end like they can't win a hundred percent you know that something bad is going to happen adds a different flavor to the feeling of like what this fight is all about that you don't get in the other movies. So I think that it really just stands on its own and doesn't need the nostalgia to power it across the finish line.
2: Yeah. Dave? Yeah, that question is too hard for me to answer for the opposite reason. I have too much nostalgia for Star Wars, so it's tough for me to separate it and answer that honestly. I'd like to say that the story works on its own, Mm -hmm. but I will say this. It was the first Star Wars movie my wife had ever seen. Oh, really? Yeah. Melissa had never seen any other ones. And when we walked out of the store, the movie, I said I loved it, and she was like, "Me too. That was a great movie." So, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
0: I just, I, I think it's really, I liked it because it's so different from the other movies in a lot of really great ways. And what are the other anthology movies after this? Solo and. That's it. That's it. So, solo because okay, so it's solo <laughs> did not do well. <laughs> <it>. So <clears throat> the last, yeah, and and solo to me feels like it would have a harder time fitting into this because of how important solo is to the original trilogy and everything.
1: Um, you would probably be right from what I remember.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this one is just. I think that the the ending act of this movie is the most emotionally affecting of any Star Wars stuff. Like. As as, as as You know, the prequels fuck up everything. You think the prequels should be loaded for this kind of emotional resonance with, like, Anakin yeah. and Obi-Wan's final climactic battle. It doesn't because they, everything falls flat on its face for that stuff. But this one of just the rebels fighting in a horribly undermatched battle where they're slowly getting picked off and dying throughout the whole thing. And you understand the stakes and this is real, like, thematica, or this is real, like, narrative tension to what's going on and you want the timing to work out for them. And then mm-hmm. they all die anyway. I think it's just like it's really it's really satisfying in a way that the Jedi can't get across because the Jedi are kind of cartoonish and that and it ruins that effect, but I think it works really well here. I guess I guess the ending was totally reshot too. So who knows uh, what the original one was, but
2: I like the ending that they ended up with. Yeah. I loved it. I thought that the the best death too was the droid like yeah. I, yeah, the I almost <laughs> cried when the droid was he say he's yelling at them to climb
1: the and droid, he's like doing his job right to the end. It was great. The droid has, I think, the most convincing character arc in the entire movie. He's my favorite <laughs> droid. He's my favorite droid out of all oh, the droids. Definitely. I think. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, what? Not C three PO. Well, original three movies. C three PO. Okay, I will yeah, take C three sure. PO. BB eight is had cute the pre- too.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. The the uh, uh, the thing the thing that really separates this, I think, from the other movies is that your um, final act of your normal Star Wars movie is like is just Wagnerian opera you know where you've essentially got you know people the, the, the fat ladies up on the mountains singing and and you know you people sword fighting and shit yeah and it's really it's really big and it's really like the emotion of it is really big oh you're my father but you're the most evil thing in the universe you've cut my hand off blah 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 this is a lot more personal and a lot more ground level so i think it works in a completely different way than the other ones really do um and it allows for it, it allows you to see you know even though you're seeing in these other movies in the first three well i guess all of them you're seeing people die and Wes, we talk about this as uh, as far as like the dominion war goes on star trek and stuff even though you're seeing people die in the the action of the war you're not really spending any time with these people, like you're not spending time with Porkins before he gets blown up in the x wing or you know whoever else wedge survives does wedge survive wedge survives. wedge survives um sure they're people they're casualties, but you're not spending any time with them. This is the first time you really spend time with people who fucking die yeah right? yep. <laughs> who who end up are who are casualties of the war that is the star war, you know
0: yeah, no that's true they um because they're not super powered over the rest of it, you know. You know that right. they, they anyone can die. It's a very Game of Thronesy approach to it, I suppose. Where anyone that's here that's why can
1: die. that's why Han Solo being trapped and he, he doesn't even die. He gets tra- he gets frozen for um half a half a movie, right. and it's like <laughs> well, the they most decide if they're going to resign Harrison yeah. Ford's contract. It's the most <laughs> devastating thing that's happened across three movies because he's <laughs> you've spent time with him. You know, yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi getting killed is devastating because you spent time with him. Yoda dying is sad. Yoda dying is sad. I would argue Yoda dying is the least sad death. It's a, for th- for exactly the reason I'm talking about, where you don't spend that much time with Yoda, and also it's just he just kind of dies. It's not like he's <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's not like a stormtrooper shows up
0: and shoots him in the head or anything. <laughs> he, he can't uh, self terminate, and he asks Luke to, <laughs> to do it for him or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. Do you either of you know what the original ending? was for this like was it drastically different does anyone know
1: um i don't i did some looking up and it's fairly unclear it sounds like there was a bunch of so the most interesting thing that i read about this is the way that they made this movie essentially was before they had a script gareth edwards and the editor got together and basically took a bunch of other sci-fi movies that they wanted to that they were taking influence from and cut them up and sort of pasted together a mock-up of what Rogue One was going to feel like and, you know, to see how long scenes timed out for. So, like, uh, uh to see, you know, how they used the scene from Aliens where they interrogate Ripley in place of the scene where the uh, the rebels interrogate Jin, just to see how those f- scenes feel and how long they take and stuff like that. Yeah. How, l- how long it takes for a blast door to open, that kind of stuff. So they knew how long the movie was going to be. And then from that point, they kind of like started developing the uh, uh, visual style of it and the visual effects scenes and working those out, and then they kind of started writing the script, I guess. Yeah. So it was very much, and even the shooting of the movie, from what I read, was very much like we're shooting the movie, but we're also going to shoot a bunch of other shit that might we might not even use. Like if you, the big thing with this is if you watch the first teaser trailer. None of the footage from that teaser trailer is actually in the movie, right. and it's a bunch of really awesome looking stuff. And uh, the editor said, yeah, that was just a bunch of stuff we shot on a whim, and it looked cool, so we put it in the trailer. Hmm. So it was kind of, even though the the story is that it was, oh, it was a shit show, and they had to bring somebody in to finish it, it sounds like it was very much sort of like a, a pastiche of, of of building it anyway. And so the original ending, from what i found, has was it, a lot was of- Was
0: Edwards fired during this? Or did they just reshoot it after, after it was wrapped? I've
1: never seen anywhere that he was actively fired. Okay. I've seen that. The, what I read is that Tony Gilroy, who has a writing credit, uh, basically, because he did so much work on it, um, came in and uh, after, after the director's cut, he came in and basically said, this is what's wrong with it, this is how we fix it. Wrote those scenes. They went out and shot them, and he was in a directing and or assistant directing capacity. So he did a lot of work on it. But he didn't um, necessarily. I don't think Gareth Edwards was officially fired or anything.
0: I would just. I'd have a hard time imagining any other ending for the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess. Well, that was the thing because like they didn't. So uh, uh, one of the original things that they did, like original, original, was that they came, We were coming up with ways for them not to all die uh, because they didn't think Disney and Lucasfilm were going to let them kill everybody. Mm. And so they had a, a, a sequence where. I think they get out on a transport or something and they get off the planet. Um, and then there was a different sequence where they get out off the planet but they're being hunted down and Cassian Andor sets off a carbonite bomb and freezes everybody. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it was there was some really <laughs> stupid shit. And there was there was one instance where um what the fuck is his name? Uh the bad guy. Carrick? Carrick?
0: Carrick. Yeah, or Carrick or Nerick or something
1: like that close enough. Uh Ben Mendelson uh somehow Krennic. survives Krennic. 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 He somehow survives the Death Star blast and is like trapped under rubble <laughs> and then Darth Vader shows up and chokes him to death. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So it's like it sounds like they were they were trying to thread a bunch of needles to try and please a bunch of people and then Tony Gilroy came in and said, "Well, no, you just, you got everybody's going to die." And so they they kind of and there was a lot of running like originally the uh the place they get the plans from and the trans, uh, the word I'm looking for, um, the the big tower the, uh, the, the with the satellite dish on yeah, it. Yeah, satellite dish. Those were two different places, so they had to, like, run across the battlefield to yeah. get to that other place, which is really awkward action-wise. So it was just a lot of, like, um, streamlining stuff, I think.
0: I, I mean, the, the running kind of feels to me like that is what Force Awakens would do. Like that—that's that kind of a Star Wars movie where it's like you know because the characters are running in that a lot while like starships are shooting at them and things like that. So, I that adds to like the childish kind of like adventure story feel of Mm -hmm. those movies. And I think that this one's different. It's just it just feels more adult, which is ridiculous to say because it is a fairy tale for children. But it's like I can't imagine an ending where none of these characters die because the entire point of the movie is to you know to like do the right thing sort of like mm-hmm. they don't really i wouldn't say that this movie is like particularly uh heavy-handed with its themes or that it thinks like the theme is the most important thing that has to get across but it is a sacrifice for the greater good in a way that the star Wars, the other star wars movies don't really do that because it's more of a battle to the death between the light side and the dark side this is the, the grayness of this just comes from the fact that it's, it recognizes that neither of those are going to win for this cast of characters.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sacrifice is not at the top of the list of things in main mainline Star Wars movies generally.
0: No, no. That's out of yeah, like you know, uh, Obi Wan sacrifice or de- letting himself yeah, get but cut
1: even half. that even dude that. who took the A wing into
2: the Super Star Destroyer, man. That's <laughs> one example. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, what do um. You know what I think the one big mistake is in this movie. Outside, well, this is this is kind of a sarcastic one big mistake. But the one thing that I, when it was over, I was like, "That's the one scene I would have cut. I would cut all Vader scenes up
1: until his final hallway appearance." Agreed. That Vader scene, watch, especially watching it now, that Vader scene on Mustafar. It feels really tacked on. Which one's yeah. that?
0: The one where he just chokes out Krennic.
1: Yeah, where he goes, where Krennic goes, and like asks him about his promotion. Yeah, just, <laughs> does
0: the emperor like
2: me? <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, we've been talking for thirty six minutes, and we haven't talked about Krennic much. I thought he was an awesome bad guy. He's yeah. he's he is outside of Vader. He's probably the strongest bad guy.
1: I think um, he's definitely he's definitely the most uh, layered. Uh, I think yeah. La- everybody else yeah. ends up being well. I do really like Kylo Ren, but we'll say. I oh, like sure. the emperor, I mean, if we're talking about bad. Sure, games. yeah, it remains to be seen where Kylo Ren's going to end up, but uh, but yeah, Krennic is is for not solid. being he's, a Sith apprentice, yeah. for not being yes. like yeah. a a Sith guy. He is probably my favorite non Force using villain he's, that the series. He's has. he's what General Hux should be. Yes, instead of just a fucking cartoon.
0: Well, yes. but but Krennic has Krennic has this nice undertow where uh, Tarkin has taken his glory from him. It's like he has yes, a yeah. he has this weird um not weird but he has this layer that a lot of Star Wars villains don't have where he's actually been wronged and you could potentially feel sympathetic for him if he wasn't such an asshole like he has yeah. a a little arc that rides a narrative underneath everything and it's unusual because most of them are just like fire the weapon do this that kind of stuff but he's he's deeper than that he has some sort of deep-seated um, insecurity about his position. He wants to meet the Emperor all the time. He wants everyone to mm-hmm. tell the Emperor about what he's done. And so he's, he's fascinating. And the performance is really strong, too. Mendelssohn's really
2: excellent as that guy. If I can just get back to uh, the, star, the Darth Vader stuff. So I just have to say, I saw the movie in the theater about a month after it came out. And uh, one of my coworkers said to me when she saw Rogue One, She's like, the only thing I'm going to tell you is that Darth Vader is awesome in that movie, and you are going to love the Darth Vader scenes. So the first, like, two times you see Darth Vader, I thought those scenes were terrible and, like, really forced – in the back of
1: my head, I was like, "This is a great movie," but what the hell was she talking about? <laughs> and then the and then it happens at the end, yeah. Which also not in the original script. That was a thing that they added later. Great addition, yeah. Well, it's yes. it's
0: so the, the that ending is so strange because it is just a tag onto the movie. It's not mm-hmm. you d- you don't have the Vader scene where the character the main characters are running from Vader as he's kind of doing this. And I I don't know if it is better or for worse or not doing it. I kind of like the fact that it's just these random rebel soldiers oh, who are trying to stop him. But at the same time, it feels weirdly unnecessary in a way to tag it on. And then to have that horrible uncanny Valley, um, princess Leia at the end, which we have little, we'll have. we talk about in a little bit, but I don't know that you guys thought it was fairly effective for a tag. And you do you wouldn't want to include Vader in more of the actual movie itself. No,
1: no. I, I think that this movie, um, Works best because it is removed from, from, more or less removed from main character Star Wars stuff. Like I don't think you gain anything from having St- Darth Vader be like the the main heavy or something in this in this movie. You know? Well, no, like, no.
0: But say, say here, here's here, this is the solution I'm more saying. Like when that Vader scene where he's chopping down the rebel soldiers is happening, it's because he is in like a hallway. That at the end of it, Jin is at to get the plans off or something like. So they don't interact with him, but he is actually there with the main characters of our movie, even if he doesn't face yeah. off against them.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think I prefer it that he that he's just kind of doing his own thing. Jin's not on the ship, is she? No, no, she's end, dead. Yeah, yeah she's okay, dead. Okay. Yeah. But I'm yeah, saying, think, like
0: Vader would go down to the planet or something like that. See, I, see, yeah, see,
1: I, I'm I think, glad they didn't do. Yeah, that. I think that feels that feels too forced. I, I think uh, having having those things just be separate and have the events of events of the story involve, uh, Jin, Andor, and Krennic, and then yeah, the, the Vader thing is very much like a, uh, you know, for for as much as people whine about fan service. There is nothing more fan servicey than that Darth Vader scene. Because mm-hmm. like you said, it's a tag, there's no reason it needs to be there, and it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. You can't watch that and go and like, you know, poo poo it because it's fan service.
0: Well, so I, it's, I, I would say it does add something. It adds to what I was talking about earlier where you see the the difference in ability between Jedi and Sith and normal people. Like, we, because sure. I don't think we've seen Vader do anything like that up until that, no, in, in the No, never, and that's suit. why it's awesome. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: that's that g- kind of goes to, in line with what I was saying before, where they take uh, recognizable Star Wars stuff and kind of present it in a new way, in a way that you haven't seen stuff before. Very high on that list is Darth Vader doing literally anything. Yeah, yeah. Although, Beds... Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say he looks weird. In Vader. The, uh, it, in that final scene, he looks fine. In the Mustafar scene, his costume I know that they went to like uh immense detail to replicate his look from a new hope. It doesn't hold up. His his, no, his uniform does no. not hold up whatsoever. Even, even down to his ill fitting mask, where it's like it looks like a Halloween mask because the neck is like sticking out. Uh yeah. they should have like, you know cleaned it up a little bit, I think. You know, and he, he doesn't, he's not really imposing looking in that the scene. The voice wasn't good. Yeah. James yeah, his, Jones sounds like, sounds like he's strange, 85, yeah. which yeah. he
0: is. Yeah. You know what I would say is a more fan service Vader scene where he's What's in, that? when he's in his little rejuvenation bath.
1: Sure. Yeah. I guess that's. Unnecessary. In, I don't yeah, know what the point of that scene yeah.
0: is. It's just that people know that he's burnt. And so this is like a scene of you looking at him taking a bath or whatever he's doing. Um Yeah because that doesn't tell you anything about if we're talking
1: about fan servicey stuff the one thing you know i know dave you mentioned uh i don't i can't remember if you mentioned it here or before we started the thing where like one of the first shots in the movie is blue milk yes the one that bothers me the most is that they just happen to run into uh ponda baba and the other weird guy dr avazin he's a doctor he's a doctor oh my god yeah of what
2: uh, Torture? I don't
1: know. <laughs> who, who are these characters? Who are you talking the, about? The guys, the guys from Star Wars, A new ho- uh, the, the first Star Wars movie, that the guy with the you know, ball sack for a face that oh, gets his sure. cut yep. off. Yep. He's
2: just got a nose that's weird.
1: <laughs> oh, the
2: ball no, the, sack for the face. The yes, guy, he does guy. have a scrotum on his face. <laughs> <laughs> He's an aqualish, Clay. Uh, excuse you me. I, I'm sorry
1: to be insensitive to the aqualish people. Um, but the, like those guys, that's just completely random yes
0: you know these faces yes. you know these yeah. ball sack faces yeah. they
1: don't dwell on it though that that only lasts it,
2: about eight seconds it wasn't and then as they're bad It was are right. bad
1: on rewatch as it was the first time it, it i was think forced. because it just stood out so much like of all the people right it was forced because they have to get from here to tatooine in like a day and a half <laughs> We're gonna
2: see them in twelve Star Wars movies so that he can say by a new hope he's wanted in twelve systems. Yeah. <laughs> That's there you go.
1: Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, it's we'll like
0: not, the Robert Ory
1: of Star Wars, yeah. Huh? I, I feel like they have a real loose concept of distance in this movie because after after um the after the fight at Jeddah when they hook up with uh uh Saul Garris people, they walk from J- uh, Jeddah, the city to Saul Garra's place, which looks like it's about two hundred miles, in about ten minutes. Yeah, and they do that again later um, when when they're at the uh, the planet where Jin's father is when they're setting up to kill him, and it's like Andor is at least two hundred yards away, if not more, and he makes it over there in like five minutes. <laughs> so I guess you know movie movie stuff, you know whatever you give, you know, but it's
0: it's the same as um discovery right where the the pace and the scripting of these movies has amplified itself so much that they have to planet jump all the time yeah. so you you can't deal with distance in any kind of like uh realistic in Je- way
1: in the Jeddah thing you run into a problem because sol gara has to be on Jeddah. your people have to go to him but they have to be far enough away from the city that they don't instantly get destroyed when it gets death starred right so they have to be like they have to be able to see it across the ocean because, you know, I don't know if you noticed, Dave, but there was no observable curve on that planet. <laughs> um, but you saw it from space. Star Wars does the lie. That's it's true. Okay. Yeah.
0: Can we talk about Sa
1: Guerrera? Sure. What a
0: pointless character with a bizarre performance attached to him.
1: Y- yeah. That's definitely the performance is definitely like I gotta find something to do here. And what's Wrong. he supposed to be? He's
0: supposed to be a shitty version it. of Vader?
1: <laughs> he's supposed to be like a rebel version of Vader where he's like this clunky I, robot guy. I always took it as it was supposed to be like sort of the um the the not an equivalent, but like someone on the rebel side who had something who had the same sort of uh body transformation. As Vader did, but and was also a little bit more because he's sort of like a gray area character, right? Yeah, he's
2: the terrorist of yeah. the the Rebel Alliance.
1: Yeah, so i
2: I loved I loved the character, and I loved Forest Whitaker. I thought he had a real weird performance, and I thought it worked. But in my so, Mon Mothma, we haven't talked about her either.
1: Mon Mothma was great. I really liked the same inter- same actress doing the voice from the original movies. No kidding. I, I believe so. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I liked her a lot, but she
2: describes Sagarera as somebody who is not rebel affiliated and they've gotten in a lot of trouble. In my own headcanon, Mon Motha's lying in that scene, and he's just a straight up rebel asset that sure. is a terrorist and, you know, kind of a villain. Yeah. And he does things like uh drive people insane with his uh <laughs> giant alien squid thing. That's
0: the only bad thing he does in the movie,
2: right? He doesn't we don't see him kill anybody or anything,
1: right? No, but his forces in the city are pretty reckless. <laughs> I, they establish him as, as a terrorist. Yeah. Okay. So he's...
0: So to, to get him straight, he is sort of like bombing empire facilities and not caring if normal civilians die in it? Is that what we're supposed to assume
1: about him? I think so, more or less, yeah. So he's just yeah. kind
2: of like a loose cannon, basically? In my head canon, no. He's the admission that you know a, a rebellion is a dirty irregular war, and you need guys like Sagarrera to uh, fuck shit up and stir shit up in places like Jeddah.
1: Yes, hey, so that's why I liked him. So you're saying he's more of like a uh, an off off the record black ops kind of guy who's doing the who's doing the wet work. Not not as classy yeah. as not as classy as that, but I know I know what you mean. Yeah. He's getting he's thrown an, under the an, bus by the. He's an IRA guy. Yeah, he's, I love yes, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, see I what everything that you just said is awesome and I like that a lot, but I think his his use in the movie is just so weird. And it's so I he's one of those things where I feel like they could have I'm not sure how you do it, but I feel like they could have condensed some some moving around or something to give him more space and more time with him or something cuz it's very it is kind of as as far let's put it this way, as far as characters who show up and we'll talk about this in the next one, too. Uh, as far as characters who show up for, like, one or two scenes and then are gone, I like this guy a lot more than Benicio Del Toro in The Last Jedi. Um, but oh, it's the I same forgot. kind of feeling for me where it's like he's very much a transitional character that feels like he should get more time and have more weight to him, but they just don't have it.
0: Well, he's so, he's so important to the story, but you see very little screen time. They talk of about it. him a lot. Yeah, they, they yeah, talk well, about yeah. him a lot. I mean, Jin gets found by him at the very start. Her parents know him, and he, yeah. he rescues her from hiding in her cave hole for a while. And then you're supposed to learn that she was mentored and raised by him. But the next time we see her is as an adult, and she's a prisoner in that prison camp. So mm-hmm. you you see no...
1: And even there, they haven't seen each other in like... 10 years or something. Yeah, she says that he abandoned her when she was left like 16. Yeah. yeah. Probably to do some dirty bombings. <laughs> so likely, yes.
0: For for how referenced he is, it's strange because he's brought up constantly by all these characters. He has a direct input on our main character, but I could easily see him being totally cut from the script and nothing changes about it.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, it's he's weird because he has all of this connection to the character you're talking about. We don't see a lot of it. And the main purpose for him in the story is to be the hub where everything kind of comes together to start the story going. Right? Because he even says it in the movie where, the, so the the the, the uh, defector pilot shows up and gives him the message from from Galen, and then Jin just happens to show up the same day, and he's like, "What is this? Did I? Is it my birthday or something? This must be a. <laughs> this has to be a trap because both of you showed up at the same time. Like even he is kind of. Acknowledging that it's weird that all of this is happening at the same time, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would change that. I mean, you just have the rebels capture the pilots
0: and bring them to their rebel base. But they, I think, the only reason he seems to exist is because they need to get them onto that planet so they can blow up that planet. Sure.
1: So you know, okay. If we're gonna spitball how we would change this, I think, I think you're right. I think you could keep the Uh, you could keep. You could have the the rebellion get the pilot, and then the rebellion catches up with Jin while she's on Jeddah doing something that's not that's like where they find her for the first time or something like. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know what you do for for the first fifteen minutes of the movie, but
0: well, you could also have because I think that Cassian's turn where he's like, "I'm a good soldier. I'm going to execute your father," and then he gets there and he doesn't shoot him. You -hmm. could have Cassian kill saw Gerrera, i think right to to,
1: yeah. to
0: show this kind of schism between the two where he he's he kills saw Gerrera and then he kind of realizes about the father later on it gives like a little bit of development to that role i don't i don't know how you you'd it wouldn't necessarily fit into the script as they've got it now but i think that the turn of cassian feels very rushed to me because it doesn't it, he doesn't have anyone to sort of be the bad guy too at the first in the first place and then to repent later with another character.
1: I think I think what you're talking about is exactly why they wrote it cuz the scene the first scene with Cassian where he shoots the dude that was also an addition a, a post first edit edition Oh, was it? So okay. if you can if you can imagine this, this movie existed in its first version without the scene where Cassian shoots that guy and without them finding Jin in prison and saving her from prison. So the two like, and dif- everyone lives at the end. Yeah, and everybody lives at the end. <laughs> yeah, this is a, so this is a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs> <you're just driving. laughs> it's a bad movie. <laughs> so you take your two characters who are barely hanging on by a thread as far as being interesting characters in the finished movie. And take away the two things that make them interesting, and then make them your main
0: character yeah that's I, that's interesting because i we just talked about it, but I have forgotten the casting shoots that guy i feel I feel he needs to kill someone more important, i guess is my problem sure and yeah. uh, Saw would
1: be that character
0: yeah I, because he's a he's a the rebels obviously don't like Saguerro. Right? Like they, they would watch him. Well, I don't him know. To be,
1: According to Dave, it sounds like they like him
2: a lot. That's my, that's, the, hey, that is an I, unchallenged honestly, assumption in the movie that Mon Mothma is just lying. He's, he's a rebel. He's they, just doing the dirty stuff for him so Mon Mothma that, can stay
1: clean. Yeah. If they had said that in the movie, and so it basically, so they set it up so uh, Mon Mothma pulls him aside and he's like, listen, because they like exposition in this movie listen, I know that Sa Guerrera is one of our guys, and what he's doing is completely sanctioned by the Rebellion, but you need to take him out, or something like that. That would, that would uh, give me a little bit more to work with. But His, they kinda his do full that name with... is
0: Osama Guerrera.
1: <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, they kind of do that. It's tough, because they kind of do that with the dad, right? Because they have that scene where they're all getting in to fly off, And the guy pulls literally pulls him aside and he's like, listen, killed Galen Ursa. Yes. Don't bring him back. Kill him. Um, So, yeah, I guess I I know what you're saying, but I feel like with the people who are available. Like as as the story goes now, having Cassian kill saw doesn't really add much because he gets blown up two scenes later anyway. I
0: need I need something to happen with the characters because the characters to me are the weakest part of this movie. No, that's totally fine. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I just I need the first hour of this I was not sure that I liked this movie all that much because mm-hmm. it felt sort of like a more grounded version of Star Wars that wasn't really uh doing anything for me. I think the ending fixes a lot of that. It really like it's really a movie that relies on the ending and you just sort of like realize what's going to happen to these characters to really appreciate it. But at the same time there's there's about three too many characters in the start and none of them are really I just feel like it's one of those movies where you could combine a lot of these characters and have their roles overlap with each other and you would cut down on the amount of characters you need to have on screen and they can kind of accomplish the same. Like you can have the pilot also be Cassian, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Sure. Like There's, there's yeah. no reason to separate them out so much that you you have um, just the pilot who does this thing and the droid who does this thing and then there's a blind je- wannabe Jedi guy and then there's the guy with the Gatling gun who's his friend. Like It, it feels like there's just
2: too many characters stuck into it. That being said, they managed to give them all really good deaths. They did, yeah. They did. Yep. Yeah. I thought the pilot's death was the best one because it was not heroic. How does yeah. he die? He did Just a grenade in the plane. Yeah, right? a, a grenade on. in the plane, and he yeah. looks at it and kind of looks sad, and, yeah. and then he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of grenade same, deaths the, in this. The same face
1: I'd make before getting blown up <laughs> by a grenade. <laughs> well, yep. that's
0: it. And what's the, uh, for my own canon sensibility, what is the, the warrior monk? He's a
2: wannabe Jedi? Is that kind of his thing? That's a new. That's a creation of Rogue One. Yeah, is it? So, okay. One thing that this movie does well, that I think that Star Wars as a brand does well, is not trying to do science fiction per se. Proper, yes, correct. They set up a, a a world, and they give you throwaway lines, like even from the first three movies. How you travel in space is throwaway lines. Sometimes they call it light speed. Sometimes they call it hyperspace. It's It's for the fans afterwards to create. And I think that's why Star Wars is partially so successful is because the world, the greater cinematic universe that you can build out of it has all these loose ends that you can do what you want with. Right. Mm -hmm. Like assuming that Saga Rare is a character that they never explained, right? Yeah. But I think that's what they did really well with these Jedi or pseudo Jedi is they, they give it to them. They're... They're protectors of the temple. We know that the Jedi are somehow connected to the temple because they built their lightsabers out of the same kyber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the um, crystal
0: that powers everything. It's like the and exactly. crystal of uh, Star Wars. Yeah.
2: Yep. But then they leave it there. So he's got some force sensitivity, but he's not a Jedi. He's definitely not as powerful a, as a Jedi. And they don't get into it. And I think that's why you know this whole like doing sci-fi proper or not doing sci-fi proper. I think that Rogue One admits it's not going to try it. <laughs> Whereas the prequels tried that, and they tried to explain the Force with the, f- we all know about chlorians.
1: Yeah, there's a real schism, it seems, in the brand itself as to whether or not the Force is a, like, tangible thing. Mm-hmm. And you have some interpretations of it going more the chlorian route, where it's like it's, it's, uh, it's, essentially, it's essentially a magical staph infection. <laughs> um,
0: it's genetic. It's genetic. Yeah, it's it ge- runs in family. It's genetic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It runs in the family. There's like, there's, there's quote unquote science attached to it. But you've got other ways where you. Vygon Jin has 23andMe on his ship. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's got his little blood sugar diabetes meter where he's like, look the <laughs> medichlorians
1: are off the charts. Yes. Um, but you've got the other, the other way, which is really the more original way that it's treated which is more of a it's 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 a force it's not a thing it's a force and there's more of a uh, mystical aspect and more of a zen sort of thing it's a religion Uh, that you come to yeah it's a religion that has you know literal magic powers attached to it but it's a religion so that's and this movie definitely goes that way with it which i think is really the the way to go because as soon as you start making things tangible and literal, then it really hampers the stories you can tell. And well, when you've got a character like the these monk dudes who are, like you said, Dave, not Jedi, but they're definitely involved somehow and they're force sensitive. And well one of them is the and one of them doesn't even believe in the force anymore. But yeah, they said he was like the, the the most uh devout yeah devout celebrated monk and then all of a sudden, he's not anymore. I want to know more about that story. Well, right? And they just
2: leave it loose, yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Well, here's my question to you. If you give the blind monk a lightsaber,
0: is he not a Jedi at that point? Um, Like, what, I, I have a problem where I feel there needs to be a kind of defining line between the Jedi and not being a Jedi. So, for me, what I kind of like about the midichlorians, as ridiculous as they are and nonsensical uh, I, as they I are, knew you were go there. is that they do... They do give this hard sense of there is a definite thing to be a Jedi. Like, there's a definite, you you have to be this thing in order to control the Force. And it's not just kind of like a religious awakening that you can have, that you can all of a sudden become a Force user. Like, it seems like you're born with it or you're not. And to me, in the fantasy world, that seems more like it's appropriate for Star Wars kind of thing, where it's like some people just can. But the original the original sensibility of it, Correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be like more just if you if you accept it like this blind monk did, if you just like embrace the force, you will be, be able to become a user of it.
2: And I don't know if that works for me as well. I think that's the assumption in Rogue One, I would assume. And I'll push back a little bit because, like, does Luke Skywalker ever become a Jedi? Um,
0: you, you
2: want a clear definition, but in the first three movies... It's not clear whether he's a Jedi or not. He is decidedly and definitely not a Jedi through the first half of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then you can make the decision, like, is he a Jedi after there's that? There's the
1: scene where he's like, I did it. I am a Jedi. And the Emperor, the Emperor's like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I want to see some signed paperwork if you're going to start calling yourself yeah. a jedi yeah.
1: you want a certificate yes <laughs> I mean, I mean, that, some credentials I'm just, I'm just remembering how silly that is in the in the middle of this battle for the universe, he stops to go i I did it, I'm a Jedi, <laughs> like my dad, and the emperor's like, Hey, over here, guy, no, we're not done here yet
0: yeah yeah i yeah i don't i don't I don't have a problem I, I like the I like the idea of a character who's kind of like trying to be a Jedi but can't actually do it. Um, and I, I think that you can approach his death scene as a symbolic, like maybe he's not using the force. He just wasn't getting shot. Um, but here, here's my question to you before we head out of here. Was there a bigger mistake in the prequels than trying to retcon or say that the stormtroopers were clones of one of the most elite bounty hunters in the universe? <laughs> Has that ever backfired? Is there something that backfired more than trying to make that connection where, It's your thing, Clay, about in your sequel, you can either have more of something or make the one thing more powerful.
1: Mm -hmm. But the Stormtroopers... But you can't do both because that's too hard.
0: Right. The Stormtroopers (laughs) are supposed to be both, though. They're supposed to be this elite bounty hunter fighter who actually stood off against Obi-Wan. He stood off against a Jedi and survives. Sure. And there's supposed to be a billion of them constantly coming at you. And they're so cocky that when they come out of their buildings, they don't try to hide immediately. They just walk out and get shot, and they don't even give a fuck about it.
1: So, do we know that those clones were actually like well-done clones? Cuz I mean like, you <laughs> know, you're trying, you're those long-neck dudes, you're trying to get a, a government contract, you're showing that you can do it. You're just not showing that You're they showing don't, your best product. Yeah, you're showing your best like 50. You're not showing the other ones in the back who are just like walking into a wall repeatedly <laughs> like the guys from us. <laughs>
0: Well, to be fair, the best that Obi wan sees—they're all sitting in a row eating cereal. I think
1: yeah. when he looks at them, so. that's all they can do. <laughs> that's, that's the one skill they've learned how to do. <laughs> in so, that room, we have soldiers. In this room, we have cereal eaters. <laughs> <laughs> there are fewer in the soldier room.
0: I just—it so, it really sticks out to me as a weird, is, bad decision I, that they made. The, the thing prequel. that
1: I've that I've uh, that I've always wondered though is that—I mean, I guess that's the implication, but I, I is. Is that hard canon that the stormtroopers are all clones? Because they're not in the new movies, obviously, because Finn is one of them. But, I mean, well, unless they're clones of somebody else. But, but is, I, I, I always thought like maybe the, the quality level dipped off because all the clones got killed after 30 years. They they lost their supply. I don't know. Yeah. You know, you got to restock them somehow. Yeah. I don't, but I know what you're saying. However, I, I also would like to kind of piggyback off of that slightly and say is, I may have said this on another show, I don't remember, is there a more useless thing in a sci-fi movie than body armor? Yeah. Because the Mandalorian is the first person who has effective sci-fi body armor. (laughs) Everybody else in this movie, there's a scene where one of them gets dirt kicked in his face and he reacts as though someone threw acid at him. (laughs)
2: That's and true. again the Ewoks and the stormtroopers like they're throwing rocks at them. They're not yeah, doing anything. They
1: get they get beat to death by a stick in this movie. The, Donnie Yen beats these guys to death with a stick. They also, um, I think, this Star Wars has the most
0: characters getting shot by a blaster and surviving from it. Yeah, a lot of off-center mass shooting in this. Yeah, movie. A, a lot of limbs getting shots and people going like, oh Jesus, and then kind of surviving through it. But um, yeah, it's 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 certainly not as deadly a blaster as uh,
1: as we've seen in previous movies. Tech is not up to par. Before, um, before we wrap up, can we talk a bit about Tarkin and Leia?
0: Oh, let's let's end it with that. Actually, um, what do you guys think
2: about that? Okay, I have a very strong opinion that uh, it's it's hard. I didn't like it. Tarkin was the first time you see it, and it felt and looked exactly like a dialogue scene from like a Fallout style RPG game. <laughs> yeah, where. He's talking and I was waiting for like him to just stare at you and start blinking and four dialogue boxes to pop up and you pick.
0: Yeah. As he's
2: standing, he kind of
0: like moves in a wobble
2: as he's just standing there on the screen. Yeah. At the end, Krennic picks, I will not fail, parentheses, (laughs) leave conversation. I was,
0: I was surprised by how, for having not seen this movie, how much they talked up that. I was surprised by how bad it looked.
2: Yeah. So It, it was to finish though. It was awesome seeing Grandma Tarkin and using him as a character where he had a conflict with the main bad guy and they're going back and they're both just petty assholes. Um, It was great seeing Tarkin in the movie and I don't know how else you do it because Peter Cushing is so – he's got such an iconic look and voice. Yeah. The voice is an imitation actually. It is, of course, because he died like in the 80s. But uh, I I don't know – if they had hired a different actor, it wouldn't have worked. I like I liked seeing Tarkin in it. I didn't like how it actually looked. I w- maybe just do him in a hologram and let him be petty over the phone. Yeah. Um, but
1: but I liked I liked seeing Tarkin. He can, he can in never it. he uh, Krennic keeps trying to get to talk to him, but he can never <laughs> take the time to leave his office. So he keeps hologramming and sending like a guy out. It's like. <laughs> Grandmaf Grand Moff Tarkin would like to tell you that he's very unhappy with what you're doing. It's just
2: emails back and forth. Like
1: It was cool. I really like Tarkin in it, and I'm glad that they used him because they don't use him
2: in in much of anything else. He's kind of a forgotten character after New Hope. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. um, But I don't know how, how else you do it other than CGing. It. I think you guys are – Um, I
0: think you've actually maybe convinced me, Dave, a little bit of like now I'm starting to see the fan service that I wonder about it in it because – Tarkin is Tarkin's important, but he's really just important for Krenick's character development, right? Like he he's the he's the uh antagonist to Krennick in a lot of ways. He's like a secondary sure, right. antagonist to him. But I don't know if he's a hundred percent necessary in the movie for that. And I think that you could portray Krenik like that in a different way and have him just be the main villain and not have Tarkin be involved. I um I find it distracting to look at him. It's the only thing I can see when his scene is happening. I'm like, this is not a real Mm -hmm. person. Like, this is just fake. Very Uh, much, and I think that, like, it it brings up weird ethical issues. Like, do you have to pay his family
1: when you do this? They they did have to get at least approval. I don't. I I don't know if they have to pay the family, but they had to get approval from the estate to use his likeness. Yeah,
0: Uh, yeah. I, I would if I was like if I was a member of that estate, I would say you have to pay us for his likeness. You know.
1: I I wouldn't be surprised, and this is where like it gets real world sci fi weird and shit. I it would not surprise me, especially because of how litigious and you know they lock up their their stuff over at Disney. If there's a some sort of copyright law that says that since what they're using is not Peter Cushing, oh it's the character, but, yeah. but they're using the character of Grand Moff Tarkin then they don't actually have to pay anything. Sure, probably that's likeness, how it works
0: for action figures and stuff like that, yeah, too. Because yeah,
1: because his likeness as that character is technically owned by Disney, which is kind of fucked up. But Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I love seeing Tarkin. I mean, seeing Peter Cushing in a movie in 2016 is just awesome, as weird as it is. I think if they made that, as as far as going back and touching up you know special effects, that's one I wish they would go back and touch up because if they made that movie now, I guarantee you it would look almost photorealistic because that technology, they've been using that technology since Tron Legacy when it was not great. Yeah. And it's gotten better every time they've done it. And most recently, it's been used in the most recent Terminator movie and it is the best I have ever seen it. And it was like, disturbingly good mm. and so i think if they had made that movie this year i guarantee you he looks a hundred times better is leia necessary no i don't think it's necessary to see her face i think they could have done that one without cgi-ing her in having her uh, just turn I, around and say hope <laughs> yeah like i think you mean the, the shot that they use where they open the door and you see the back of her that's, yeah that's obviously that's princess leia right yeah, yeah. Now, are you saying is she necessary? to be in there at all because i don't know that she is no i would have
0: i would have just done it without her turning around just see the back of her robed uh like um silhouette or whatever and hear her yeah. voice say hope or something like that and i think that would have been enough uh, Tarkin's so, tougher because he's more important to it but i think that it's it, i would not have done it for either of them i don't think um yeah. maybe as you're saying nowadays when the technology catches up but just it, looking at it is just distracting I was
1: I was thinking whether or not Leia ne- is necessary at all in like the to the character to be in there at all face or not. And I kind of feel like she is because you need to have you need to have that beat where you know that the plans have reached where they need to go. Yeah, that they've you know won. I mean? it's not a tragic ending. Like, yeah, and if you hand it off to like Jimmy Smith's, it's not gonna have the same impact <laughs> as if you hand them off to Princess Leia, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, um, 100%. Did, did they CG the
2: whole uh, Imperial, the board? So There are like boardroom scenes on the Death Star and A New Hope mm-hmm. when Darth Vader chokes out the, sure. I don't know what he is, an admiral. Did they CG that whole crowd? Because I'm thinking of oh, oh, Wes's know. point, whoever Darth Vader chokes out and he says, I find your lack of faith disturbing, that guy, that guy could have taken the Grand Moff Tarkin Character role, and you wouldn't have had to CG him. You could get a different actor because oh, no I difference. see right. what that guy yeah. looks like. Yeah. yeah,
1: I. But see, the, again, I think the reason that they use Harken is because he is more or less shorthand as to what the stakes are. Yes, right. Because it's the same. He he kind of serves the same purpose as Princess Leia, where it's like as soon as you see him, you know who he is, who he's working for, and why it's a big deal. Whereas if it was oh. Krennic going up to like the next guy in line which is just another guy in a black hat. It doesn't quite have the same punch as if it's Grand Moff Tarkin doing it.
0: Interesting. I see I see Tarkin as the character who matches the trait about um these are characters who go to extremes. To do, he like saw guerrera is Tarkin's analog, I think, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know that Tarkin is going to be the one who doesn't hesitate just blow up Alderaan or something. Sure. Like he's that character where Krennic, I don't think they even flesh out Krennic this way, but you could You could feel that—I could see the argument that Krennic has more of a moral problem with using the Death Star than Tarkin does. I don't think they ever play it that way, but I could easily see him being drawn in a way that is uh, similar to that. They kind of give him more of a psychological hang-up about being needy or something. But I I think Tarkin is supposed to be that guy who's going to do the extreme thing, and these are all characters who uh, sort of revolve around being extremer versions
2: of one another. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the opposite of like Sagarera. So, as you said earlier, there's kind of a theme of selflessness on the rebel side. And it's just the opposite with Krennic and Tarkin, where they're both just uh, careerist people that yeah. are trying to get themselves to the top. Yeah. So, there is a juxtaposition. You're right. They'll do anything for it, but where one side is selfless, the other side, it's just bureaucrats trying to get to the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Anything um,
0: else we want to talk about
1: here? Well, I, I would just want to ask, so this this movie is a prequel to Star Wars. Yes. In the same way, even more literally than the, the prequel trilogy is. Why does this work? Uh, con- considering that it has a lot of the same stuff that we criticize in the prequel trilogy as far as like, did we really need to see Chewbacca? Did we really need to see this? Do they need to tie this up? Do we really need to know why the Emperor's face is wrinkled? Which is I'm I'm dying on that hill is the <laughs> stupidest thing they've ever explained. Why does Rogue One work but the prequel trilogy does not?
2: Rogue it's Smarter? I yeah. think
1: for me, Rogue
2: One is it's a smarter movie, and we had talked about just like the sci fi aspects of it. It it knows that it's a Star Wars movie. And doesn't yeah. try to be more than that. And I think George Lucas, with his prequels, tried to be a little more than that. Yeah, he, he tried to tie everything up and make a complete, enclosed story, a closed system kind of story where Star Wars shouldn't be like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's weird that after you have the original trilogy and you come out with something like Rogue One, you could say that you could say that Rogue One is actually kind of a failure of a movie in that it doesn't try to do anything different with Star Wars. It just kind of like, it, it does a little tweak to it, but it feels more like Star Wars than the prequels. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that Lucas tried to do something different with the prequels, but he fucked it up so badly that everyone's like, this is just, this is just awful, where yeah. it's almost more artistically <clears throat> unusual and artistically ballsy to do
2: what Lucas did with the prequels than anything. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. 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 And one thing that, you know, I'll give Lucas credit for, and I kind of learned this after we were doing our podcast on this a couple years ago, is Lucas didn't really listen to the fans. Everybody complained yeah. about Phantom Menace, and he kind of gave the finger and was like, no, I'm going to do it my way, mm. which is really good. And as we start talking about the Disney sequels, we're going to see that doing the opposite can be worse, I think, yeah. uh, when you listen to the fans and react too much to your own criticism. Um But another reason that Rogue One is better than the actual prequels, the acting. Yes, flat out. (laughs) I I mean, it it sounds like a
0: stupid answer to Clay's question, but I I just think they're better movies. Like, almost every aspect of it, like the cinematography, the acting, the scripting, is just a better version than what the prequels
1: were. I think Rogue One might be the best-looking Star Star Wars movie there is. It's beautiful. And, like, the way that they you know again this is it's it, it looks really good for this reason but there's also a bit of a nostalgia thing to it as well where like they match the look of the original one so well to the to the point where they even cut in footage from the first movie during the 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 x-wing scenes and it it's seamless hmm. um it, and uh they yeah they actually found um unused dailies from the uh from a new hope of the no uh, kidding yeah and so they they cut in those and they actually brought in gold leader to, to to uh a little bit new dialogue to, to uh to go over cuz <laughs> no he was kidding. still alive yeah um but yeah i think it's i think it's beautiful as far as like compositionally not even just like uh uh photography wise just like the compositions in this are amazing um the look of it is great everything feels really lived in and it's so weird that the prequels it took me a long time to realize why they look the way they do, and part of it is because—I mean, maybe this is headcanon for me, I don't know, but I always assumed that the prequels look the way they do because they're supposed to be pre-Empire, so everything is supposed to be nicer looking. Yeah. You know, a little bit more upscale and classier and and, and uh, not as rough and, and, and grungy, um, but it is so antiseptic in those movies. That it's it, that plus the amount of CGI that they use really makes you, ma- creates this huge distance from being, and also the terrible acting, creates this <laughs> huge distance where you can't, it's really difficult for me anyway, to latch on and care about these characters in the way that you're supposed to. Whereas in the, in Rogue One, there's barely any character work, and by the end, I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's a monk. What, they have to kill the droid? What? Yeah the way that he looked at that grenade man it's just it says it all you know it's 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 really fascinating because even even this one it's a closed loop in this one the way it's a closed loop in the in the prequel trilogy right yep. you know they they uh, prequel the prequel trilogy comes almost as close to tying up things at, uh, as this does where like it ends with um jimmy smiths taking the twins on the ship, what's the what's the name of the ship?
2: Jimmy Smith is in Rogue One too, and we didn't yes. talk about
1: that. That is a completely, completely needless.
2: Uh, sure scene. is, but yeah. he
1: does, uh, but he does do the linkage between like uh this is him. That's Leia's stepfather. Blah 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 blah. Sure. And also, I did, I do have to say, if you're gonna do a callback to the prequel trilogy, he's not the worst one to do. Sure.
0: You know, you know, but, you know, you know what my prequel callback would have been. Actually, w- what's that? When they're. Uh, at the end and they see the nuclear explosion going off and Jin and uh what's the guy's name Cassian, Cassian. are there when they're they're laying on the beach he should say you know what i hate about sand
1: <laughs> 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 gets the, everywhere yarrr, just completely <laughs> blow them up um but like the, the trilog the, the prequel trilogy ends with Jimmy Smith's on the ship which is what's the name of the ship from the that Leia's on at the beginning of the Antive 4 or something like that yeah they yeah, they Tantive rebuilt 4, that yeah. to because they're trying to, you know, close that loop as much as possible. And Rogue One actually closes that even tighter and does it better. Uh because it is not as forced as it is in the prequels, which is just like it's the most forced closing of a loop I've ever seen in my life. But Yeah. Yeah. No, I um I really like this movie. I
0: wouldn't say I really like this one. I, I enjoy. I like this one much more than I thought it was going to. It surprised me by how well it sits in the like the pantheon of Star Wars movies. I think for me, and um, I'm slowly being convinced that Star Wars can exist outside of the Skywalkers. I don't know how well it can exist outside of like the force and things at this point. But I think you can certainly exist outside of the Jedi and the, the empire and the emperors and stuff. This one has the empire in it, but it was stuff like the Mandalorian and uh, just like the baby steps that this one took away from that kind of material. Uh, I think there is room for it to, to go in that direction. I was, I was skeptical about that, but I
1: think there is p- uh, potential for it. I would also like to say, cause it, we don't have to talk about it, but uh, I hate the theme song for this the the the, re, the incidental music is fine, but the theme just sounds like really stock sci fi, you know, Star Wars rip off music. Was this the first one that Williams didn't do? Yes. Okay. And I know it's not entirely at the fault of the composer, who is generally a very good composer. He, Michael Giacchino, he did the music for uh, the tw- two thousand nine Star Trek yeah, series. Yeah, he's done a ton is, of movies, obviously. Yeah, yeah. the two thousand nine Star Trek is fantastic theme. Um, but I guess there was another composer whose name I forget. Who, uh, his music was scored to the original version of the movie and it didn't work with the new cut. So they had to bring in Michael Giacchino with only a month to write and record an entire new score for this movie. Hmm. So I'll give him a little bit, a little bit of leeway, but I don't, I don't like the, the, uh, like the fanfare theme for this.
0: I noticed in the, um, I had to watch some of it with subtitles. And when Vader enters, the subtitle says Vader's theme plays, which is, which is interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, that's obviously to show you how important the music is to this uh, to this series and everything like that, and the sound effects and everything like that. But Dave, any final takeaways from this one?
2: No crawl in the beginning. We didn't mention that. Mm-hmm. It was great. It kicked right off. Yeah, right Do on the planet. Have fake it you? shows. A- no, they don't even right. They no. They, it no. just yeah. it it shows an establishing shot on a planet because I think all Star Wars movies start in space. I think so, yeah. After the crawl, but there's no crawl, and then it just goes right into the story. Um, mm. And seeing that in the theater, that was the first, I was expecting an opening crawl, mm. and that they didn't give it to me uh, got me a little excited. It got
1: me going. Yeah. Also, we didn't even talk, talk uh, again, talking about using familiar stuff in new ways. We didn't talk about the hammerhead ship, which was fucking awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and how, uh, as the rebels are running away, they use the uh, coming out of light speed. To just blow a bunch of them up, because they, they just pop out of light speed. Yeah. And so as the, the rebels are going away, the, the Star Destroyer shows up and just runs into a bunch of them. That stuff is great.
2: Even that planetary shield, the Spaceballs the, shield. The Spaceballs the shield. Spaceball shield, They had the yes. Spaceballs shield, and, uh, but it was great. It wasn't hokey. It, was, it no, worked. it worked. Set to suck, not blow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. We're done with uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I think our next one is it's is the next one Last Jedi it is right it's not yes. Solo next one's Last mm-hmm. Jedi so everyone's very anxious for our thoughts about Last Jedi Can,
1: after we finish Solo I think the three of us should go blow our brains out <laughs> Opening opening weekend to the new one and podcast from in the theater and just really annoy everybody who's there.
2: <laughs> a live show. That's okay with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're done. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Thank you for supporting us. We'll be back with uh, The Last Jedi, which will be the next one, and then Solo, and then it's Rise of Skywalker after that. So thank you very much for listening. Dave Clay, thank you very much for talking about Star Wars. And we will uh, be back in a couple weeks, I suppose, with the next one. I'll say that, and we'll have to stick to it. So see you.